Lessons IT security practitioners learn from epidemiologists and immunologists and strengthening the defense against ATM attacks. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. The practice of securing data security amongst people who are working in IT had very similar components and, and features to epidemiology. That's Elizabeth Lawler, who holds a PhD in epidemiology, and Lawler's experience as a scientist who studied the incidence, distribution, and possible control of diseases is being applied in her current job as chief executive of Conjure, the company that offers a trust management platform for the cloud. Today on the Security Report, we'll take a look at how IT security can incorporate the understanding of epidemiology, immunology, and genetics, and applying all that to safeguarding information systems. Joining me to discuss this is my colleague, Healthcare Info Security Editor, Marianne Kolbesak-McGee. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Eric. You spoke with Elizabeth Lawler. How did she explain the tie between epidemiology and computer protection? Lawler says assessing risk factors is significant to determining ways to identify, prevent, and treat physical ailments, as well as threats to computer systems. And she says human behavior is key to both. Whether or not it's an outbreak of a disease from a virus or something as complex as heart disease, there are certain risk factors that are behavioral that have to do with how people behave and how people look to secure data or how in the case of data, of cybersecurity and data security. And then part of it is inherent to the person, right? Like you might have a genetic predisposition for it. So the system was simply built wrong. And so I started seeing these connections and how you could frame out certain types of cybersecurity problems from a public health lens. That shouldn't be surprising. After all, if you listen to an epidemiologist or an IT security professional speak, they often use the same terminology. Again, here's Lawler. Cybersecurity professionals have already taken on a lot of the language of epidemiology when we talk about viruses and antiviruses, for example, and trying to prevent breaches as outbreaks. But what's going on now is that the systems that, we, that we're working in have become more complex and the risk factor is more multifactorial. So although we tend to liken epidemiology with viral outbreaks like Ebola or Zika, there are actually many subdomains within it which have much more complicated methods of data analytics looking at things like factor analysis and behavior analysis, etc., to identify clusters of activities for which you can get a lot of bang for your buck if you can modify behaviors. That's really where a lot of the practice of, of cybersecurity and information security comes in, which if you think about it is, you know, whether it's educating users or employees on, how, on better password management or, you know, how to connect safely to public Wi-Fi systems, there are a lot of things that you have to do in, from an education perspective to prevent the bad outcomes, much like public health does. It's not just epidemiology that IT security pros emulate from the medical field. Immunology is another example, as you discovered in your reporting on government. Right, Eric? Yes, Marianne. Last year, I spoke with Phyllis Schneck. She was then the Deputy Undersecretary for Cybersecurity at the Department of Homeland Security. At the time, DHS was working on new ways to detect intrusions through a discipline known as malware provenance. That's the art and science of attributing elements of one object to another similar to genetics. And Schneck compares malware provenance to genetic drug therapy as a way to battle cyber viruses. 
Schneck has long seen a parallel between how the human body attacks germs and how self-healing computer systems rid malware. She sees malware provenance as a key part of increasing self-healing IT systems. The body chemically attacks a germ. It knows something's foreign in the body. It attacks it if it thinks it's going to get hurt from it. And part of what those biological chemicals do is somehow sense where did this thing come from. And the best way for the body to fight something is obviously if you have them already with antibodies. And as we know from vaccine science, those come from understanding more details about the actual germ. As we dig into malware and look at um, sort of its ancestry or its history or the chromosomes and DNA that make it up, we learn about what are the other types of damage it could do, how does this thing behave, and then we put those attributes into the overall cyber indicator system that helps computers understand if I see these patterns again, I may want to defend against them. We are, again, going from the typical intrusion detection scenario where you need to have a vaccine, so I've been prepared for the entrance of something bad, to where we turn cyber networks to be more self-healing, to now recognize that something is probably bad and study it and or attack it on their own and heal themselves. Schneck analogizes malware provenance to genetic drug therapy rather than common antibiotics. Am I recognizing the same germ so I can now apply the right drug? If you are a machine receiving a set of instructions and you are now able through, able through a set of indicators provided to you to recognize even the slightest attribute of a piece of malware or a computer program or anything, to now recognize it could cause harm to your network, you will at the very least think about it more before you execute it. If you're getting much more granular at the machine level as to what this unknown entity that's entering your system is all about. At a higher level, these finer attributes are often used to tie different events together that otherwise we might not have noticed before. Eric, the human body is as complex as our IT systems, and it shouldn't be surprising that ways to meeting the challenges to keep bodies and computers healthy and functioning parallel one another. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Getting into the minutia of attacks on ATMs could help banks develop better defenses to safeguard their cash machines against criminals. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk looks into the new way the American Bankers Association will collect and analyze data on ATM attacks. The American Bankers Association has started collecting more detailed information on attacks against ATMs in hopes of improving the industry's preparedness. The move comes as banks are seeing intensifying attacks against their cash machines. The ABA has collected statistics on bank robberies and burglaries for a long time with a platform called Bank Capture. But many of the greatest threats faced by banks now come from electronic attacks. Heather Weiss and Constantine, the ABA's Vice President for Payments, says the improvements were driven by a lack of information. Well, I think one of the reasons that we really wanted to expand the ATM crime and the ATM skimming field for the database was there really is no central repository for ATM skimming statistics. You'll read statistics from the Secret Service. Some vendors provide uh, statistics. Some of the um, ATM manufacturers provide them. And there are just a lot of disparate reporting mechanisms. One of the well-known attacks is skimming, which describes some type of device that is attached to a cash machine. The device records the payment details stored in the black stripe on the back of a payment card. 
The bank capture platform has collected reports on skimming before, but the ABA has added new categories specific to ATMs, including jackpotting and shimming. An ATM is jackpotted when an attacker is able to withdraw all of its cash. These types of attacks were largely theoretical based on research into vulnerabilities into cash machine software. But over the past year, banks across Europe and Asia have been struck by jackpotting attacks and sustained significant losses. Shimming is another relatively new attack. It's aimed at payment cards with a microchip using the EMV specification, which has recently been adopted in the U.S. A shimmer is a very slim device that's inserted into an ATM's card reader. It either intercepts or manipulates data passing between the microchip and the ATM's chip interface. The bank capture database is open to financial institutions that subscribe. The ABA plans to release general findings quarterly to the public. It is also using CapIndex, a crime risk forecasting vendor, to study the statistics it collects. The ABA's improvements should help banks respond faster and give a fuller picture of ATM fraud. About 60% of 91,000 bank branches in the U.S. already voluntarily contribute data to bank capture. Also, the system can send out real-time email alerts when a bank in a certain region has been hit. That's important in helping banks react faster, as criminal gangs often hit a region and then move to another one soon afterwards. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. We're fulfilling Confucius's wish of living in interesting times. That's Tom Field, Vice President for Editorial at Information Security Media Group. And those interesting times are characterized by the increased use of ransomware, high-profile breaches, and political hacks connected to the U.S. presidential election, just to name a few. This week, tens of thousands of cybersecurity professionals from around the world are gathering in San Francisco for one of the premier cybersecurity events of the year, RSA 2017. Tom, along with our colleagues, Bank Info Securities, Tracy Kitten, and Data Breach Today's Matt Schwartz, are in San Francisco analyzing the latest IT security developments and interviewing some of the world's top cybersecurity thought leaders about the threat landscape, about the evolution of security controls and technologies, about changes in the cybersecurity marketplace itself, and about regulations and and how they're impacting the world that we're trying to secure. Highlighting ISMG's RSA coverage will be our one-on-one video interviews with top cybersecurity experts and thought leaders. We've got Representative Mike McCall, who, of course, has been very active in cybersecurity policy in the government. Art Caviello, the former executive chair of RSA, is coming in to talk about his activities, both in terms of trying to create a greater public-private dialogue about cybersecurity, as well as the up-and-coming technology startups that he's counseling. Phil Reitinger, formerly the the CISO of Sony, after its high-profile breach, and now the CEO and president of the Global Cyber Alliance, will be coming in and talking with us. And we've got about 25 different video conversations set up with thought leaders from throughout the cybersecurity landscape. Now, some of those are technology vendors, some of them are professors, some of them are consultants, and we even have people from outside the U.S. coming to our studio. So I'm really excited to be able to produce these and for them to be shown pretty close to live, I believe, on our site so people can access them as we're recording this. And we'll excerpt some of the most compelling interviews on upcoming ISMG Security Reports. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time. Music.